0: I have a file cabinet in my office. It's filled with files, a folder for each Sunday of the church year through the three-year lectionary cycle. I call it my life's work. Every sermon I've ever preached, a different folder. And then I have folders also organized by topic, weddings, baptisms. But one of the thickest folders in my file cabinet You know what it says? School shootings. I'll come back to that. Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. He hears. He is God's beloved with whom he is well pleased. And immediately he's driven out into the wilderness. He's driven out into the wilderness for 40 days And he's with the wild beasts. And he's tempted by Satan. And the angels minister to him. In Mark's gospel, there's not the list of temptations like there are in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. It's much simpler. It just says he was tempted by Satan and he was with the wild beasts in the wilderness. Now, these wild beasts... They're actually a reference to Hebrew scripture. They're a reference to the book of Daniel. There's four wild beasts in Daniel, symbolic figures. The first is a beast like a lion with wings. The second is a beast that looks like a bear, but the bear is reaching around itself and chewing on its own exposed ribs. The third is like a leper, like a leopard with four wings and four heads. And the last is a large beast with large teeth and ten horns. They're meant to, to represent the principalities and powers of the age. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. These wild beasts. They represent the violence and the arrogance of these empires. So Jesus is there sitting with them with the wild beasts tempted by Satan. I wonder what Satan was tempting him with. I think it's this. Satan was tempting Jesus to be comfortable with those wild beasts. To sit there, to think somehow it was normal to be with these wild beasts surrounding him. To be there in the middle of them with their their blood dripping from their jaws, with their fierce claws. I think Satan was tempting Jesus to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's Satan's temptation. To feel that it's normal to be there with the wild beasts. I think it's it's a similar temptation maybe that we have to somehow think it's normal to have homeless people on the streets. Or the temptation we have to think it's just the way life is that there's lines at food pantries. Or that there's food pantries at all, actually. Or for us to just get used to that glaciers are melting and we're experiencing the largest loss of animal species at any time in world history. or us to think that it's normal that families can be ripped apart because Congress can't fix dysfunctional immigration laws. Or that women, they'll just be harassed. Our daughters, they'll be sexually assaulted. That's just what happens. Satan tempts us to think this is just the way it is. That black people, they get pulled over more on Washington Road and Mount Lebanon than white people. Just the way it is. Or to be comfortable with that each year dozens of children will be killed just because they went to school or to a nightclub or to a concert. Satan's greatest temptation is that we adjust to being uncomfortable. That we adjust to accepting violence. That we adjust to accepting injustice. It's just the way it is. Business as usual. This week, as we gave our loved ones valentines and we spread ashes on our forehead, 17 people were killed in Parkland, Florida. Alexander, Carmen, Eliana, Meadow, Helen, Peter, Alyssa, Scott, Martin, Nicholas, Aaron, Jamie, Christopher, Luke, Kara, Gina, Joaquin. 17 lives were ended because they went to school or to work that day. Their families devastated, their community devastated. It will be generations before that community will know a new reality. Years before those families are in a new place, if ever. Our temptation, Satan's temptation is that we become comfortable with this situation. Yesterday, our Bishop Dorsey McConnell wrote a a pastoral letter to us all. I wanna commend it in its entirety to your attention, but I'm gonna read from it right now. From Columbine to Parkland, we have witnessed something terribly wrong with American culture breaking out into the intentional and focused slaughter of our children. In the end, and in spite of active movements to change laws and to limit the spread of weapons among ill and unstable people, the result after nearly 20 years has been little more than frustration on one side and resistance on the other. What we are dealing with is not merely a political matter that can be resolved through national debate, It is an idolatry that demands national repentance, a spiritual cancer that has captured the souls of countless Americans of all parties and political persuasions, and that is metastasizing rapidly, namely the belief that the rights of individuals take precedence over the collective good. There are both progressive and conservative versions of this false deity, but the result is the same tribalism, hatred of those who differ, self-will on a national scale, our easy willingness to project our darkness onto one another and seek their destruction. The murderer always seeks relief in the death of his victims. We know that Parkland will happen again. We also know it's happening every day all around us, by neighborhoods that don't get much attention, Homewood, Wilkinsburg, and places such as these, where children can kill children, and no one thinks to put their picture on the front page of the New York Times. If we really want such horrors to end, we need to recognize our enchantment and repent and turn to God's vision of true community. Yes, there are political necessities as we do so, But none of this will be possible without reform of our hearts. The devil's greatest trick is to fool us into thinking we can't make a difference. That the way things are today are the only way. That somehow it just is this way. Lent is a season, Lent is a time where we take on practices, we do things that are meant to help to wake us up, to wake up the believer to the reality of the world around us, to individually and collectively to know how we have missed the mark, how we have fallen complacent how we've been complicit in our own sin and the sins of the world. (coughs) Lent is meant to shake us awake. Many people say that Jesus came in order to turn the world upside down. A friend of mine recently told me that that's wrong. We turn the world upside down. And Jesus came to show us the right way up to show us how the world is supposed to be how God had creation and was meant to be community of peace, of abundance of equality, of safety where no one is left out everyone is included and where justice and peace are deep in the fabric of all of our lives together. The season of Lent is meant to help us to see, to help us to see the truth, the true reality of what the world is meant to be. Jesus goes on to preach that the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. It's not some far off, distant reality. It's not something that's so far out there that it's out of reach and impossible. The kingdom of God has come near, right here today. We can reach it, we can touch it, we could even achieve it. It's possible. It begins with you and it begins with me knowing that promise of our faith and not letting ourselves become comfortable with being uncomfortable. To help be part of building this kingdom that has come near. Living in new ways. Acting in new ways. And be a part of building, of building this world that God has created based on peace, on justice, and enough for us all. So join me in this Lenten journey to wake up and to know what we have right now, it's not enough. Amen.